listeners, and welcome to this week's installment of your favorite horror movie podcast, featuring your main man here, Uncle Ben, and my main man, who's that on the other end of this call here? Future Steve! From the future, Yes, I came back this week, just like last week, to fix... Some sound issues. (laughs) Okay, so last week's episode, our our Pumpkinhead episode, you all got treated to to future Steve and and future Ben because we done fucked up our audio. And um, in a similar fashion, (laughs) you get get your future pals again. Okay, so our original Hellraiser episode, we recorded... When did we record it? November maybe yeah of last year yeah of 20 of 2016 and uh we are talking to you now in what is this late April 2017 Mm -hmm. uh I went to go back and start editing the episode and I realized that all the audio for basically the movie review portion was fuck sword um the rest of the intro and stuff was good but the uh the audio there towards the main kind of meat of the episode was was kind of shot so, in an effort to provide you guys with a a quality podcast listening experience worth every dime that you're paying for it, which is to say, no dimes. Yeah. <laughs> We've decided... Why are we charging a dime? I mean... We should on. at least do a dime. <laughs> In a world of, like, nickel toilets and stuff like this, come on. Yeah. <laughs> nickel toilets. <laughs> So we we decided to go back and re-record our audio for our movie review uh, portion of this to give you guys a better listening experience. Uh, again, it's it we really need to hire a new audio engineer for this whole experience. But I think it's fun that you guys are along hey, for the ride. I like the current guy. <laughs> He's good. He's got good legs. <laughs> he does. <laughs> um. So. So, yeah. So, but I think it's kind of fun that you guys are kind of along for the ride with us, you know. Yeah. We're kind of like a blind man at an orgy, just feeling our way through things here, and you guys are here with us. If you listen to like a lot of early podcasts, sometimes they compare it to punk rock because they were just figuring out like what podcasts are and how to do them. Um, and most of your podcasts today are made by people who uh, got a pretty good idea. Well, guess what, folks? That's not us. That's not us. I was fucking homeschooled. <laughs> Steve, you were yeah. you were like a Mormon or something for a while. Yeah. They, you know what they do when you're a Mormon? They take away your memories and your ability to learn things. No. No. Well, I mean, no. No, I made that up. But... They could, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's well known that, that some of the, the primary tenets of Mormon are no no coffee, no tea. None. Get it out of here. No podcasts. I don't want to see that shit. No podcasts. Podcasts? No, sir. They didn't talk about it in the, in the B-I-B-L-E, so. 
No, nor do they talk about it in the B-O-O-K uh, space O-F space M-O-R M-O-N. <laughs> None of that. So there you go. So yeah. you guys are you guys are here for the whole learning experience, but I think that's fun. I think that's kind of a cool thing here. So, so like I said, you're you're basically going to get in this episode. You have our our present day. Uh, talk that we're having right now from the future. You're going to get a little bit of past life us from around November or so of last year. And then what you're going to hear is a little audio track of something that I put together around December or so of 2016. I put together kind of a kind of an industrial sort of uh, revision of the Hellraiser theme, which is one of my favorite horror themes. I really, really, really like it a lot. So I kind of put together sort of an industrial uh, sort of version of that that theme song. So I'll play that here, and then after that, that's when you're going to get us from the future, chur, 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 to chur, review chur. Like the movie. The future even from now. Holy shit. That's crazy. And yeah. let me tell you, folks, let's, let's go and prove to them we're in the future. What's one of the most recent future things you've done? All right. One of the most current things that I've done is to start watching The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. Boom, bitches. Now, now? now I'm fucking verified. This and is you coming know from the future. I've been listening to Kendrick Lamar's new album, Damn, over and over and over. So, yeah, future. S my that? D. S my D. I've heard that record's really good, is it? It is. It's really great. Uh, DNA at, at one minute and 50 seconds becomes one of the most, like, hardcore badass like just angry growling rap verses that you'll ever hear now i think uh, you said dna i think you mean dmx don't you oh shit i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) so stay tuned you're in for uh for a fun time episode here uh, and now we're going to take you guys back to the past, 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 past to hear our November 2016. This was really the, the, the our salad days, wasn't it? This is a good time of our lives. <laughs> yeah. This, oh man. Can you remember those days back man, in November of 2016? Those, those things that happened. Well, and the cool thing is, is November is around the time of year right when Wyclef Jean gets back. Yeah. I mean, he's normally gone uh, like through October at least. <laughs> Typically returning around November. I'll be gone through October at least. I'll be gone through October at least. <laughs> that was the first version, and somebody was like, Wyclef, I think we could shorten this. I don't know. Let's stretch this out at least till November. It really paints a picture, Wyclef. Anyway, see you in the future, Rough Riders. Bye-bye. 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 Oh, Hello. Shit. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> That's the intro that the people deserve right there. <laughs> All right, I'm ready now. Well, welcome everyone to this week's episode of Dead and Lovely, your new favorite horror movie review podcast. Here's your good buddies, Uncle Ben and Steve. Hi. <laughs> That's my voice today. You know, I think the same way that I'm like, you know, known amongst the internet elite guitar player crowd as Uncle Ben, you need some kind of cool prefix on your name, like Swimmer Steve, Scuba Steve. (laughs) 
Scuba Steve. Um, sterile well, Steve? I, like maybe, oh, I can't have children. I'm sterile. Like that's your bit. I, I have advocated that because I have a master's degree, people should have to call me master. So Master Steve is pretty Master sick. Steve. Yeah. Master Steve, Uncle Ben and Master Steve. <laughs> now, Steve, when you say you're a master, would you say you're a master perhaps of puppets? <laughs> That's actually, I mean, I didn't want to get into this, but yeah, I, my degree is in puppetry. Yeah? Um, Pulling your strings? Yeah, I, I, uh, have you ever seen that... Uh, that uh, that one uh, that one puppet movie Pinocchio. I've heard a tale of this. Yeah, I've heard a tale right. of it. So yeah, I I thought if I got a master's degree in puppetry, yep. I could turn a puppet into a real live human being. And let me tell you, Ben, they don't teach you that spell. <laughs> you didn't learn the the spell for old uh, not I. Mm. That's that's what Pinocchio actually translates <laughs> into is not I. Not I. Did they teach you that bullshit in school, Steve? Um, you know, I don't cotton to your fancy book learning. <laughs> um, so I'm going to say yes. What have you been up to this week there, Stephen? Out there in, in the Hollywood Hills of Los Angeles? Hollywood oh, Steve? Oh, man. Super Hollywood stuff, you know? Yeah? Uh, Kicking kick back. Did with, you do, did you do lunch? Stars. Did you do lunch with anybody? Oh man, the lunch we did. Yeah. Oh, it was, you know, it was as lunch as lunch gets. I'll say that. Now I've heard tell that out there in Los Angeles and Hollywood and stuff like that, that they're not even eating food anymore. It's just like basically inhaling flavored vapors, um, yeah. a lot of mo- molecular digestion and things like this. Is that is that kind of how you roll? Are you saying you don't vape, bro? I, I mean, mean, no. Yeah. Sometimes uh, maybe you want to vape a cheeseburger. Maybe uh, <laughs> maybe you want to vape uh, chicken soup. You never know. <laughs> Campbell's chicken vape coming soon. Yeah. Oh, God. What if it smells? You know how when you open up a can of chicken noodle soup, it has that, like, dog food smell? It smells like abject depression, yes. Yeah, yeah. It actually does drive you further into whatever mess your life is is heading towards so, you know what would be the, the best you... is like you know how you can get those birthday cards that people send you and you open them up and it has like a little trigger that like plays a song yeah what if underneath the the lid of every campbell soup can if whenever you opened it it played a little song that just went you're poor <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you can't afford Progresso, then fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to go on record as saying that. (laughs) Yeah, and you know what? Put me down on record for that, too. (laughs) That makes two of us. Man, I've I've had myself quite a busy week. I've been been learning a bunch of tunes for this upcoming show where I'm playing with a, a Yacht Rock cover band. So I've learned about two and a half or three hours worth of like Hall and Oates and Kenny Loggins and stuff like that. Awesome. It, it is an absolute blast, dude. It's so fun learning hey, that Steve kind of music. Um, you know what? They do have some Steve Winwood, but for this particular set that we're playing, we're not doing it. Um, so I'm not learning their entire catalog, but a whole shit ton of it. <laughs> dude, that could totally, 
I could totally work in there. So I've been learning yeah. all that stuff. And then, man, last night I had myself a real, a real grand regal experience. I went and saw my real dad, Steve Vai, playing yeah. in Knoxville, <laughs> Tennessee, which was uh, yeah. just, you know, the highlight of, of my year so far for sure. 2016 can go S a big D, but it did yeah. at least have a little bit of Steve Vai in it, which uh, made me enormously happy. He was playing the entire Passion and Warfare record, which is the album that completely changed the course of my life. So to get to, to hear and see that record start to finish, it was a magic moment, Steve. What was what was a young Ben going to become before that album? Okay, there's only been a few briefly covered life paths that, that young Ben did. When he mm-hmm. was super little Ben... He wanted mm-hmm. to be a, he wanted to be farmer Ben because I had okay. a <laughs> we had a field in our backyard that belonged to somebody else and I'd watch that guy out there on his tractor and stuff and I was like hell yeah that tractor rig is fucking sick that's totally me <laughs> and then after that um, this is when I started getting into into arts and oh, yeah. uh, I wanted to be a comic book artist for a very long time I got really into uh, drawing superheroes and stuff like that so I really wanted to do that and then. A little while when I was a teenager, I really thought very much about getting into programming to get into uh, doing video games and stuff. But, yeah. th- but then I think I realized, hey, you don't know jack shit about computers, and you've never even owned a computer in your entire life. <laughs> you know what? I think that was at that moment. Yeah. Uh, that clarity was just absolutely necessary. I like to think it was kind of a mature, a mature voice of reason in my own mind. Yeah, you might have gotten a little bit down the path, but you would have run into the problem of not having owned a computer, knowing anything about them. I'd have sat down to like program the sickest game ever, and I'd have been like, "Wait, bro, you don't have a computer." <laughs> <laughs> so you just you just draw it on paper. Yeah, I draw the and game. And then you'd be going back to being an artist. I mean, that's full circle that's regressing. And so then I started to play that guitar. I heard they yeah. give you chicks for free and money for nothing. Yeah. And is, uh, that, is that true? I mean, I mean, so far I didn't pay shit for my wife. Really? Yeah. Nothing. Wow. Yeah. Must be nice. I mean, so far it's it's living up, living up to what I heard in the song. And uh, so then I started playing that guitar, and it got real good to me. And I heard that Steve I Passion Warfare, and I was like, well, I guess that's the end of my life. That's the end game. So here I am. Rock you like a hurricane. Man, it's the best. It's the best record, dude. So to get to see that stuff, it was really cool. And one of my my guitar students paid for us to go and do the kind of like VIP treatment thing where you get to go and do like a Q&A with Steve and then watch soundcheck and stuff. It was uh, that's awesome. It was hyper cool, man. Hyper hyper cool. So yeah, it, it was a great time, man. A magical day. A magical day. That's cool. And then whenever I, I got home, oh, I'm sorry. You go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, I, I believe just... on that day, um, my my wife and I got drunk with uh, my wife's twin brother. So we both had a good night. Is what I'm saying. Do you ever get your wife confused with her twin brother, and you start kind of hitting on her twin? <sighs> I mean, has he has he texted you? I mean, yeah, it's, it keeps <laughs> happening. It's, Does it ever happen? And then you constant. say it was an accident. Um, like, oops. I mean, I don't want to get too into it, but it it gets uncomfortable. Sometimes. I, I'll just go with you. Didn't say no. 
Listen, all right. You know, you take it. Yeah, you know. Well, after I got home from that fantastic rock and roll guitar show, I uh, I came home and I had a few beers and I ate a little bit of noodles. Uh huh. And then I watched a little talkie picture by the name of Hellraiser. gosh and now here we are back from the past now we're in the future church which actually oh my god <laughs> guys things have changed so much uh, ben has an eye patch uh, oh my god uh, donald trump got elected to a second term already it was weird <laughs> no, me gusta. no me gusta. Also, I only speak Spanish now. <laughs> That's true. Only speak Spanish except to say in English he only speaks Spanish now. That's my form of, of rebellion. Him, if you ask him, por qué? He just looks away into the distance and his hair blows on a breeze. You know how it tends says, to do that. No sé. Ah, por qué? Por qué? <laughs> Well, man, it's it's been a while since we recorded that preamble. There, it was it was truly, truly one of the better times of our lives. Oh my God, salad days! That preamble. Can you do you remember? <laughs> I I think if I if I close my eyes and I I have the scent of jasmine in the air, maybe yeah. just maybe I can remember those better times. Yeah, it was like I'd say it's some it was something like nine fifty. Here in California. Yeah, yeah. We're at 9.58 now, so guys, it's it, it's never going to be 9.50 again. <laughs> I mean, until the morning. And, you know, it, it'll keep being 9.50, but never this 9.50. It's keep true. that in mind. It's true. I'm an older man than I was when we started this podcast. <laughs> it's true. Jesus. And you'll never be as young as you are right now. <laughs> YOLO. Yo, so YOLO, end of story, YOLO. Yeah. Well, while those were very bright times in our life, now we're going to shift gears and go to a very dark time and talk about a little picture that was based on a true story in 1987 <laughs> called Hellraiser. <laughs> Um, this this is this this is the biography of the rise of Stone Cold Steve Austin, right? <laughs> That's exactly what, like he he removed the nails from his head and became Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, if these are anybody's salad days, I'd like to know what type of salad that would be. It's a dark mm, salad. I, uh, I, oh yeah yeah okay. I bet it, it probably has like a maybe it's like a quinoa salad. I think, you know? it, I think it would also have like a topping of uh, severed scraps of face meat, <laughs> human yeah, face, face meat. meat. Yeah, when you go, when you walk in, and listen, there's some gold on that first recording, and one of them that we have to re-mention is our pitch to Auntie Anne's, or was, oh, Cinnabon. <laughs> 
<laughs> to start Cinnabon. a Hellraiser promotion and sell Cinnabites. <laughs> Which are tiny bite-sized uh, Cinnabons, but they're, yeah. they're, they're, you know, they're cute, they're bite-sized, they're made for travel. Right, but they look like, you know, Pinhead and, and uh, you know, uh, a bloated LL Cool J. Like, <laughs> well, that's, all, that's all you got to know is you eat enough of those Cinnabites and eventually you start looking like Butterball. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. That's it. <laughs> so this was, uh, was this the first time that you watched this flick, Steve? No. Um, I saw it uh, back in the day, mm-hmm. like when I was a younger man. Uh, mm-hmm. I know I didn't see it when it came out, but I did see it probably uh, around the age of 10. So, uh, it's, it's, this is a dark-ass movie. Um, yes, <laughs> it's dark. It is, I, I think now that I did see it at that young of an age, and I'm like, whoa, that is probably why I'm a, bl- a bit strange. <laughs> this is one that I, I definitely did not see in my younger days, and I'm I'm legitimately very thankful that I didn't see this one. Like, there's so many of those <laughs> movies um, that, as I mentioned on previous podcasts, I grew up very, very, very sheltered and stuff. And uh, my fam did their best to try to to keep me away from some of the some of the darker corners of existence. But honestly, like after I went back and I started watching some of those classic, you know, horror flicks, your Elm Streets and your Halloweens and stuff like that, I kind of realized, like, oh, you know. I totally could have watched this as a kid with no long-term detrimental effects. Yeah. This is not one of those movies. Um, I, I really do no. think that, like, if I would have seen this as a kid, um, yeah. <clears throat> it, w- it would have deeply, deeply disturbed me. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad I, that I didn't see those up until I was probably about, I don't know, I think I saw this for the first time when I was probably, like, 20, hmm. 28, 29, something like that. Yeah. I I know that when I saw it when I was younger I didn't understand it very mm-hmm. well. It was kind of I don't know, like it's it's a very adult horror movie in the sense that it like deals with some real adult insanity issues. Um when you watch this as a kid were you like when I grow up do I have to put pins in my head? I don't I don't know. I th- I thought that sex was they uh that Pinhead shows up and rips you apart with chains. <laughs> it's not. I well, okay. Listen, my <laughs> wife says it's not. I don't know that I believe her. I. She's doing it wrong. I think she's doing it wrong. Okay, <laughs> we've been married almost seven years now, and we don't have a baby. So. I All mean, right? okay. How often <laughs> do do you come home and she greets you by fish hooking you? Rarely. <laughs> okay, need I say more? Yeah, all right. It's upsetting. It's upsetting the, that, you know what? Okay, we're going to have to have the talk. The chatterer the... taught me everything I know about love and physical affection. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, though, really, like, again, especially compared to other ones from from that era, you know, that kind of mid-late 80s yeah. sort of era, which, again, it's yeah, like, it's, you know, by this time we're knee-deep in, in Friday the 13th and, and Elm Street yeah. and stuff like that. This one is legitimately still fucked up. Like, you go and you watch this yeah. now, even in the year 2017 uh, or 2016 when this was originally recorded. <laughs> mm. And it still holds up as being legitimately fucked up in, in ways that not 
not really any horror movie goes towards. Like, I was thinking about this earlier, and I'm like, there's honestly a lot of things that you could compare Halloween to. There's a lot of things that yeah. you could compare um, Friday the 13th to, any of those movies. It's like, you know, that it's a slasher, whatever. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you that. There's what nothing genre you can compare this? this to. Yeah, like, there's really nothing that you can compare Hellraiser to. At best, you could call it a monster movie, but it's not that. No. It's not a monster movie. I mean, as we'll get into it, uh, and, and as we did in the past, the Cenobites are neither the heroes or the villains in this movie. <laughs> I think probably, now that I'm thinking about it, probably about the closest, the closest cousin that I can think of to tonally what this movie is about and the subjects that it deals with and stuff, I think about the closest thing I can think about is maybe like Takashi Miyake's Ichi the Killer, because it's very much about mm-hmm. sadism and masochism. This is the second week in a row you've mentioned Ichi the Killer. It's a true story. I think that's about Actually, the well, I don't know if you, I don't know if you mentioned that on Pumpkinhead or uh, a future episode. <laughs> oh, shit, you might be right. See, like, <laughs> our timeline is it's getting like J.J. Abrams as fuck. <laughs> it's, yeah. I think we might start the Age of Apocalypse comic books. Like, we (laughs) talked about how much we like them, but it turns out that, uh, like, uh, Jim Lee and all all the X-Men writers and artists at that time were just, like, they were transported to the future. They heard our podcast, and then they went back in time using Dark Beast Machine, and Sugar Man followed them, of course. (laughs) Sugar Man, dude. Maybe what happens is, like, maybe one day we just, on on totally a while here, we decide to review the X-Men Apocalypse movie, and then whenever (laughs) I go and I save the file, I actually save the file as, like, uh, what would that be? Like, 1996? And yeah. <laughs> it goes back in time and it gives like all the Marvel dudes back then the idea to create the Age of Apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> and we, t- we take Rob Liefeld aside and we're like, and listen, Deadpool, you need like you need to rip off Slade Wilson in yeah. the DC universe and make well, first off, give him a real name. Yeah. <laughs> and second off, make him make him a funny character. And he'll be like Funny character. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give him like a million pouches. Wait, wait, and wait. Then we'll be like <laughs> Slade Wilson. Uh huh. That's Deathstroke. His name is and Slade Wilson. His name is Slade Wilson. Yeah. See, I was never a DC guy. What the fuck? That's so stupid. Really? It's a stupid name. Yeah, but um, he uh, he's the original character, and he's a cool character. I like him. He is. He's not Deadpool cool, but no. I, I mean, you know who is. That's fucking funny. I did not know that that was just that blatant of a of a pull. That's funny. Mm. Um, so oh, okay. So we should okay. We should get into talking about the like who the, who made the movie, etc. This is a Clive Barker movie. Yep. Uh, Clive Barker. I was uh, a big fan of his uh, novels as a child. A <laughs> child. As a <laughs> you had his picture t- books, his pop up books, and all this. Um, well, okay, I, I saw this movie in 1990, and I believe I read The Thief of Always, which is his sort of children's book, in 91 or 92, mm. and then I moved on to his, like, more serious stuff, and it's, it's, it's much, serious, yes? Yeah, much darker, uh, but, uh, I, it, 
it may it like gave me the understanding of how creative horror can be because he's a real creative uh storyteller in the horror genre and that, as we were just saying yeah as we were just saying this this sort of defies genre so so it's a big deal have you read the hellbound heart the story that this was based on I have not. I never really read any of his short stories or novellas. I read the big ones. I read, I uh, uh, highly recommend uh, the Great and Secret Show series. Mm. Really good. Uh, Weave World has one of the most disturbing scenes I've ever read in my life. Dying. Uh, that involves a, a dead nun who has her eyes and mouth sewn shut giving birth to monstrous creatures what? yeah um that sounds un- I, unsavory highly unsavory yeah yeah but I, I if you like reading horror uh and you want to read something different clive barker's the way to go wow so he he wrote this who directed this flick do you know by it was clive barker oh first, so he directed it too yeah his first uh directing job and he has said in interviews that he's uh, really thankful to the talented people around him who had patience with him as he was a, a novelist who wrote this screenplay and now is, is directing a movie. Um, I think he did a great job, but I, I do guarantee that he smartly probably listened to the people around him who were more experienced. I really, really, really fucking love this movie, and and me too. Again, it's one of the most original, uh, especially for the time period. But there's still not really been mm-hmm. anything after it. Like I said, that's been similar mm-hmm. in tone and stuff. I really, really, really uh, dig this movie. So why don't you, this, why don't you kick movie, us off there as far as where we start off in this? Flick? Yeah, this this movie starts with uh, some pretty nondescript opening credits uh, that are really long. <laughs> Accompanied but by that was, awesome Hellraiser theme by great theme. Was it Christopher great somebody? Theme. Oh, I didn't write that down. I didn't either. Uh, I should have. Done let's that. make it up. Uh, Christopher Robin. Christopher he grew up Robin. When when Pooh died, his belief in a shiny happy world died. <laughs> and he was it. like, I'm gonna I'm gonna compose the Hellraiser score. Because it'd be so easy to like write this as just a typical mean, spooky, scary sort of horror movie theme with lots of shrieking dissonance and stuff like this, but it's really this yeah. like beautiful towering, almost romantic sounding at certain points. Uh, yeah. It I, suits the movie perfectly. I really love it. I, I would say that this movie is a, is a romance. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. In a weird way. It's, it is. it's a twisted romance, but it's a romance. Um, anyway, our opening image is, the box. This is like, uh, along with Pinhead, the iconic image of the Hellraiser series sure. is this puzzle box that opens the gates or, or or some sort of wound in the universe that allows the Cenobites to get through into our world. Yes, indeed. And basically we get Frank and uh, he's buying the box off of some guy. It looks like in some kind of foreign land and he slides the money across yeah. the table and he's got dirty fucking fingernails Ugh. and he, and he says he says now before you take this no there are three rules do not feed it after midnight <laughs> don't get it wet 
<laughs> and don't make a sequel of that movie. <laughs> I would love it if it's some kind of crossover. If it really was like the same dude in, in this. Yeah, that ones. would be great. And he was also the guy in The Golden Child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so Frank gets the box and it, it shows him doing some kind of ceremony with it. And he opens it up and we see this blue light coming through these slats in the walls and stuff. And then these hooks sort of fly out uh-huh. from nowhere and tear his flesh. He's having, and a, I believe, he's having a good time with that thing. Yeah, I believe I I believe I told you uh, via text that uh, when, I mean, listen, our podcast checks haven't come through yet, but I'm Not told yet. by, I'm told by my accounting firm that, um, well, I'm told Bill Gates uh, is, is just weeping. He's a fan. From the, he's a fan of the show. He's also yeah. very jealous. Yeah, the amount of money coming in. I, I'm going to buy a huge mansion in the Hollywood Hills, and I'm just going to have Clive Barker come in and design uh, a, a chains and body parts room. Mm, 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 mm. I, I am just, totally, just totally off behind in, that. Off in the corner, I'm going to have a toilet, and that's going to be the guest bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and then as... As you're walking towards it in the hallway, it starts uh, playing the the Misfit song. Uh, <laughs> is it Skulls where he says, "You don't go in the, my bathroom with me"? <laughs> I don't think he says that in Skulls. Uh, what shit, is that? Which one is Damn that? It. Uh, <laughs> I'm killing myself here. I listen to the Misfits all the time. I can't remember the name of that song. Oh god. Anyway, so um. Yeah, chains, gore. There's this it's like spinning column. Like that's one of my favorite things is that spinning column in the the weird Cenobite room that just has like meat and just fucking shit all over it. Ugh. Now I, I want to tell you that one of our many interns handed me a piece of paper that says that the score to Hellraiser was uh, composed by Christopher Young. So we were pretty close. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much the same. And so we see the the meat column and stuff, and we see like the fe- the female Cenobite, which uh-huh. um, it, that's what she's that's referred to in name. the credits, right? It's female Cenobite. That's her name. What? Ugh. Come on, guys. Couldn't have called her like uh, uh, Gross Throat or something like <laughs> in anything, the original uh, anything. In the original, apparently she was titled Deep Throat, but that was uh, thought to be too <laughs> vulgar. Yeah, because they were like, listen, guys, let's stop bringing up Watergate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put it's it to over. rest already. Jeez. <laughs> and so we see this female Cenobite. She's got like her, th- her, her throat is kind of vivisected open. And it very much reminds you of how much like, uh, like whenever you dissect a frog in homeschool on the kitchen table with your mom, like I did. <laughs> 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 One of the more normal yeah. experiences of my life, I would say, yeah. as a as a young homeschooled person, is dissecting a frog on the kitchen table and then having like tacos that night on the same table. Very normal, right? And then taking your mom to prom. Yeah, yeah, exactly as you do. And uh, so she's a. Uh, we we see kind of the Cenobites and there's meat and stuff just scattered out everywhere, and we see some hands kind of scrambling through some various meat pieces and assembling sort of a meat face. Yeah, um, and the okay. Wouldn't it be great if that was like some early merchandising for this movie? Is like, like an assemble it yourself face kit for like kids. It's like 32, 32 piece face kit. 
they had done a cross promotion again with Cinnabon, where you get you get a kid's pack of Cinnabites, yeah, and inside there's a puzzle that is just pieces of face. Oh, like each one, you're like, I got an ear. <laughs> oh man, I think this is lips. Oh, not another nose again. Oh my gosh. Okay, listen, this just in. Our interns are all over this. And listen, <laughs> I want to thank you guys. All right, look. Harvard University, they called us and they begged us, like, please take some of our communications majors. They need your help. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> they have that anyway, weird that... rhythm in the way they talk. It's very strange. Yeah, yeah. These Harvard kids, you <laughs> know. Anyway, the Misfit song that we were talking about is horror business. Ah, should have known. Good for those interns. I'm glad they're on the job. <laughs> they've, they've really earned that $1.50 an hour they're making. Yes. Wait, hold on, hold on. No, go, no. No, okay, listen. All right, Bill Gates' son, whatever your name is. <laughs> Bill Gates right, Jr., this... fuck off. <laughs> he gets his haircut the same place as his dad. No way. Mm-hmm. Fantastic Sam's. <laughs> I'll tell you, I haven't seen Sam's work. Not fantastic. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I, they used to have a guy who would stand outside when you would walk outside, like, after you got your hair cut, and he'd be like, hey, fantastic. <laughs> he was paid off, man. Yeah. And so then we see, we see Larry and Julia at the door of this big old house. It looks musty. It's a musty looking place. And they show up at Larry's it's brother's gross. Larry's brother Frank's old house is where they are. Mm-hmm. And we can tell already their marriage is great. That's a wonderful and, model. Well, I, I mean, it's certainly not going to be a point of contention in this movie for no. sure. No, 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 not at all. Um, there's the cool like they walk into the one room where it's like sacrilegious religious like there's just religious shit all over the place but it's like it's like wrapped in christmas lights and stuff it's yeah an interesting room there's all kinds of uh yeah statues of mary and crucifixes yeah. and all sorts of things all throughout frank's house and that's just kind of a theme that continues on through through the entire movie really it keeps showing us stuff like that through the whole thing and um you know, Frank is like, oh, you know, Chris, Kirsty. Let's keep saying Christy. Kirsty will love yeah. it. Yeah, and Kirsty is his daughter, who kind of looks like Natalie Portman. She's a little Portman-esque, a little bit. I think mm-hmm. she's, I think yeah. she's an attractive lass. Now, yeah. here's a question. So, Julia, which is uh, Larry's new wife, there. Mm-hmm. Claire Higgins, who I think delivers the best performance in this movie by far. I would concur with that. Um, mm-hmm. She's British-sounding. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. where this movie takes place. No clue. I, I, I don't either. I'm pretty sure it's America. I because uh, the few other people that they talk to have American accents. And appar- like uh, this, it's a kind of a claustrophobic movie as far as characters go. There's not a lot of yeah, like, like five people other characters. Really. Mm-hmm. But apparently, like the guy that played brother frank i guess was another british actor and then they dubbed his lines which is okay why frank has the really I, weird way of talking i'm to match the so words glad you told mouth. me that every time i've watched this movie i've always been like that is not his voice there's it, no it way it's not his voice and it doesn't make sense though because they didn't dub julia they just let her yeah. be british 
Well, yeah, I, but you can't because she's. Oh, hell damn, but Frank's in the movie the whole time, too. Yeah. She's I, the best part of the movie. You dub her, you, you fuck up the movie. I, like, I mean, I'm realize. saying she's the best actor in the movie. She's not the best part of the movie. The. the the insane horror creativity from Clive Barker is the best part of the movie. Definitely. So Frank's old house that they moved into here is really, really nasty and filthy and stuff. And there's like a mattress on the floor. And there's maggots. Uh, Julia finds some like dirty pictures of Frank engaged in various lewd sexual acts. Mm, man, that Frank. Frank liked he... a bone. <laughs> I'll tell you this. Real libertine, that guy. A rake. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And I would call him that in Trafalgar Square. All right. <laughs> and and then we have a duel, a wig <laughs> duel. <laughs> they get a call from Kirsty, and she says she's rented a room and stuff, but she wants to come over and check out the place and all that jazz. And then we have like Julian. She finds that picture of it's like Frank Bone and some lady in a Japanese looking mask. Mm hmm. Yeah. It's a weird. Like. He was into some interesting stuff. Not judging. Um, not judging. No, not judging. And that, actually, that's the like the basis of this movie and the basis of I think Clive Barker's creativity is his extreme interest in S and M, and as uh, Pinhead says, like exploring the limits of yeah. experience. Yeah. Like. Not like giving up on ideas of good and bad and just and just boning yeah. a lady in a Japanese mask. Yeah, why not? Well, <laughs> That's the outer limits right yeah. there, dude. That's it. Like <laughs> it was a weird mask, so regular sex, <laughs> Japanese mask sex. Different I, I story. Like, I like to think that this is how it elevated for him. Is he was like, I have sex with a lot of ladies, and he was like, eh, I'm bored with that. And he was like, Japanese mask, and he was like, eh, I'm bored with that. Summon demons from another dimension. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think of that too in the in the Frank voice, where he's like, maybe we'll put on a Japanese mask. Maybe we'll summon <laughs> demons. God, and so. And I didn't really understand that because Julia like cuts out the picture of him in that photo. I don't, and I don't yeah. really understand why. Was she just did she just not want to see a picture of him having sex with some other lady, or did she just want the picture of no, him? I, I don't know. Yeah, I think she just wanted the picture of him. And because so, as as we find out, they were lovers. Lovers, and then we get the mattress delivery guys, which this is a this is a cool thing. So, uh, <laughs> Doug Doug Bradley that pay, that plays Pinhead. Yeah. Whenever he got the part playing in the movie, he was given the idea of either, or, sorry, he was given the choice of either playing Pinhead or playing one of the mattress delivery guys. He well, I mean, he made he made the wrong choice. He made obviously. the wrong choice because these guys are fucking legendary. <laughs> uh, it's funny because like he he actually debated about taking the mattress delivery guy choice because he didn't want his like first big acting role to be of him wearing. A costume and special effects makeup and stuff because he, he didn't think people would recognize him yeah yeah i understand i heard that about king kong in the first movie mm, yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah he wanted like he was like look okay like i want to play myself and they were like no but on the gorilla suit and he was like but i'm just a giant man <laughs> these people should have relied on their instincts <laughs> so kirsty arrives and uh, the mover guy was like, "Oh, she's a she's fucking hot," and uh, yeah, says something movers, about looks like her mother. And Larry's like, "Her mother's dad," <laughs> which is okay. 
<laughs> yeah, these movers are some interesting dudes. They, they rule. at one point they demand a beer. They do. Like, and also, why the fuck is Larry helping them? You don't hire movers to help them move shit in. Also, it's you just hire a fucking mattress. So they move your shit in. Like mattresses it's don't weigh that much. Just, yes, my wife and I have a king size memory foam mattress. It is heavy. It's real heavy. Whenever we've moved, the two of us have moved it without problem. And like, here's and here's a, a true fact for you guys, because this is an audio format. You guys don't know it, but Steve is actually three and a half feet tall, and so is his wife. Yeah, we're tiny people. Yeah, they don't now need look, no mattress mover. We don't. And these people, these people are of average height. And let me tell you, they're struggling to get past the first two stairs on the staircase. They're having a bad uh, time with it. Yeah, but I, I did, while watching this, come up with a terrible curse to put on someone. Oh. Uh, and it, it's worse than thinner. Ooh. Um, if someone... someone uh, does you some dirt, you give them the evil eye stare, and you say, I wish an immovable mattress upon you. Oh, what are they going to do then? <laughs> They're not, I don't know. I mean, you're going to have a mattress stuck at the bottom of your staircase, that's for sure. <laughs> and so that's when... Um Let's see. They're trying to be the mattress and stuff, and that's when uh, Julia starts having that flashback about Bone, yeah. and, Bone and Frank. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> I didn't notice until like probably the second or third time that I watched the movie, but Frank and Julia are boning on what looks like the wedding dress. Like they boned the, I guess the, the day of the wedding, I suppose of Mm -hmm. of her and Larry's wedding. Yeah. So I I guess he did have some progress between, (laughs) between like just regular sex. He was like, I'd also like to have sex with a lady on her wedding dress. (laughs) Then Asian mask, then then the demons. demons. (laughs) And then, I'm going to try missionary, guys. I don't know what it's like. <laughs> then I'll try leaving the lights on. Freaky. Oh. Real freaky naughty. And, uh, yeah, he says, like, creepy shit about, like, oh, may I kiss the bride? And then he, like, cuts her fucking drawers off with a knife. And doesn't okay, he have, like, yeah. a Tasmanian devil tattoo or something fucking stupid? No. Okay. Here's the thing. I, no- I didn't notice this uh, until, like, just recently. I was just sort of skimming back through it to uh, remember just the the scenes. Um, the tattoo he has is a phoenix tattoo. Oh. Which you'll know best from X-Men. Yes. Oh, again, Days of Future Past, fucking mm-hmm. Age of Apocalypse yeah. coming yeah, up. Yeah, we're, we're talking about how Frank is imbued with the phoenix force. Yes. So <laughs> I noticed but that. But also, I don't know if you know this. This is a, l- a little more like modern, but also in the Harry Potter books phoenixes they legendarily die and and then turn into ash and then are reborn they come back they have a tendency to be coming back in mm-hmm. coming back in frank style. the german the german word for resurrection <laughs> coming back in <laughs> they're coming back in <laughs> and so while she's reminiscing about bone and frank that's when larry is helping the mattress guys and he, he hits his hand on like a nail that's sticking out of the wall and he, he bleeds out like 10 gallons of goo blood. It's fucking he, gross. He, he, much like Johnny Depp in Nightmare on Elm Street, is just <laughs> pulsing with blood. He's an aqueous creature <laughs> full of liquid. 
<laughs> yeah. So, um, but um, this is interesting though because the way that it happens is it's showing the flashback of them having sex, and as they uh, come to the point of ejaculation, <laughs> he he rips his hand on the nail and starts spurting blood. His blood then hits the floor in Frank's room and starts this reanimation sequence, which is fucking awesome. It's so cool, so, man. It's also so very it's like reminiscent his, of kind of a telltale heart Edgar Allan Poe kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is, because there's a heart below the floorboards, which I I want to talk about because I think it looks very good. I love the effect. Shit, yeah. It's, it's just a plastic bag with fake blood in it. But that's the thing about good special effects is they don't have to be complicated to be good. No. Like, it just has to be done well. It has to be shot well. And it is. It's shot very well. And so anyway, what I'm saying is that we see the ejaculation in the, in the, in the past. And then his blood mixes with the womb of the home and and rebirths his brother. Damn. And it's so it's so cool, that scene where we see... Frank kind of being reborn and stuff and regenerating. It kind of starts with like just sort of these nasty, gross sort of pieces of, of yeah. human anatomy sort of forming together mm-hmm. and stuff. It's totally the kind of thing that you can tell they they filmed some stuff and then showed it to us in reverse. It's almost like they filmed stuff that was melting and then showed it in reverse so it looks like it's yeah. coming together. Yeah. I really, really love that sequence. I remember the first time I watched this, this is when... I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm totally fucking back in this movie. This is awesome. It's really cool. And there's just so much goop all over him. He's covered you in know, Cinnabon that, icing is what it is. That is actually one of the oldest horror movie um, uh, effect techniques. In the um, Edison Company 1910 Frankenstein, There, the... Uh, sequence in which the Franken like Frankenstein creates the creature, it's they they made this sort of like um, paper mache or wax dummy and they they burned it and shot it and then showed it in reverse so oh, it wow. looked like it was coming together. So like it again, what I'm saying is like it uh, for to make good special effects. It doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like overly much. Has to be um, creative. You just have to be creative, yeah. And you gotta have a guy behind the camera knowing how to shoot it so it doesn't give the trick away. Yeah. It's a lot it's all it's a lot like close up magic in a lot of ways, where it's like you have to know how to conceal everything. And I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. Cause listen, I'm gonna go ahead and pitch. We scrap everything we've done and we turn this into a close up magic podcast. Holy shit. And I'll and you'll do the tricks and I'll be like, wow, wow, it vanished, wowie. Yeah, and you'll know that because I'll tell you through the microphone here in Los Angeles. You'll be like, and the coin is gone. I'll be like, now what was your card? And you'll say seven of diamonds, and I'll be like, that's the card I pulled out. <laughs> and you'll be like, whoa. And it'll be like the David Blaine specials yeah. where the the actor that they got to. Like Samuel L. Jackson or whatever, they got to be in David Blaine's presence. Uh, He shows the trick, and then David Blaine just blankly stares at them, like, intensely for 15 minutes, and the camera just zooms in on their face. Oh, man. And it's like, wow. Hmm. Wow. My mind is blown, guys. Yeah, I can't wait to start that podcast. That'll be... 
You know, let's start huge. it right now. Welcome back to <laughs> Close Up Magic Pod. <laughs> Today we're color. talking Chris Angel, mind freak or mind fuck. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so the next the, the next thing that we have in the movie there is where we see uh, Larry and Julia having a big dinner party at the house, and Kirstie's yeah. there, and she's there watching. Um, who I only discovered Steve. after watching the movie like a hundred times is Steve, who's kind of her mm. becomes her boyfriend over the course of the movie, I guess. Mm. Good name, bro. Steve. Steve is mm-hmm. a sick name. And basically, like, I don't know, like Steve is not hiding his intentions about what he wants to do to her in front of her own dad. Like he's totally yeah. getting her drunk and she's like, I won't be able to stand up. And he goes, So lie down. He pulls the trick I pulled. To get my wife, and I know my my mom uh, was swayed by this as well. Many a classic uh, romance starts with this right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he took his cigarette and uh, he flipped it around so the lid in when was in his mouth. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's no. It, hold on, hold on. Let's just wait because a lot of women right now are gonna have trouble paying attention to what's happening after this. And gay guys, and you know, hey mate, do you know what? A lot of straight guys probably will be turned by this. <laughs> hey, you know what they say? It's 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 kind of like spaghetti. Even spaghetti straight till you put a little heat on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Heat from mm-hmm. a heat from a, a lit cigarette in your mm-hmm. mouth. Mm-hmm. Everybody's yeah. smoking at this dinner. I would be so fucking pissed. Here in yes. the year 2017, if I went to somebody's dinner party and it was just a bunch of people like sitting around a fucking table, smoking indoors, I'd be like, "Yeah, guys, I'm leaving. This is fucking disgusting." Unless it was meth. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a horse of a different color. Well, yeah, I'd be like, "Hey, if I can smell it, let me inhale it." <laughs> and uh, so let's see what happens after that. That's where Julia's like, "Oh, I'm yeah, I'm gonna go to She's bed." She's tired. She's gonna go upstairs. She's gonna go to bed, and uh, she goes up to. Uh, Frank's room, and she meets gross old Frank, skinless Frank, old skinless, skinless Frank. We had shoe- Frank, shoeless Joe Jackson, skinless uh-huh. Frank. Uh huh. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> he I'd, was, li- I'd actually <laughs> like to retract that. I would really like it if instead of that being a baseball name, I'd love it if that was like a blues name. Like if there was. <laughs> You know, there's like Blind Willie Johnson and uh, Howlin' uh, Howlin' Wolf and Skinless Frank. <laughs> I got the skinless blues. <laughs> I can hear like shit to play guitar. And you know, oh, really, considering what his like speaking voice sounded like, he probably has a pretty good blues voice. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I can start to feel my nerves again. Do 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 do. Actually, actually, that's leaning a little metal. I can start <laughs> yeah. to feel my nerves again. Mm-hmm. We just got to get like uh, some sick double bass behind it. And <laughs> yeah. And he grabs, uh, he grabs Julian. He's like, "Don't look at me." And he reveals that it, that it's him. And he's like, "Oh, you gotta, you gotta help me." And uh, Kirstie hears some commotion going on there, and uh, she goes up. But doesn't Julia like? kind of send her back she's like oh don't come in here or whatever yeah yeah and but frank Kirstie's, wants blood uh, yeah he's um he's vampiring it up yeah he's, he's like, like the blood has helped me regenerate to the point where i am mm-hmm. so i need i need more juice gotta get the blood so she's she, he he basically is like you know bring me blood and she's like 
I guess I will. You know uh, what would have been the best, dude? Is if she would have brought back to Frank like a late 80s, early 90s Ric Flair. Because <laughs> that guy was a free-bleeding machine. And Frank, and Frank just like puts his, he puts his fingers right up to the, the, the hairline. Yeah. And as he's like, as he's just getting halfway there, his body starts to regenerate. And Flair just goes, woo, and walks out. <laughs> what would have happened then is like, he, Flair would have like overjuiced Frank, and Frank would have like exploded from absorbing <laughs> too much blood. Yeah, was, and then Flair would have walked out with Julia, and Julia would have been like, "I guess I'm with this guy now." <laughs> He's styling and profiling. <laughs> That's definitely the guy that that Frank needed to get back to his full powers. He would have had to he had had to pump the brakes on that blood machine, but Flair would have done the job. Yeah. Um. Is this okay? So then they had the dream sequence, right? Where well, that's uh, where we see a little scene where we see Steve and Kirsty, and they're out on a date, and they walk by a yeah. bomb. And this is where yes. Kirsty's kind of complaining about what a bitch Julie is. That's basically it. Yeah, and that bomb will come back um, a couple times. A couple, two, three the, times. Yeah. So yeah, um, Kirsty has some problems with Julie, and I, I'm gonna go ahead and say I get it, like. Julia is obviously not happy with her husband, and it it would seem that Larry, though he is dumb and he makes the worst sort of effort, like he's not really good at communicating with no. his wife, he's making an effort and she's not. Pretty much. Pretty much so. Yeah, so you can see why a daughter would then take her dad's side. <laughs> And so then, yeah, we get that that really cool dream sequence of Kirstie's where mm-hmm. she's in just this this random room, and whenever that room never comes back. That's something that I think is really no, interesting. Yeah. It's like it's not like that's a room that we see the Cenobites inhabiting or anything like that. She's just in yeah. some weird room, and there's like the sound mm-hmm. of a baby crying, and there's feathers flying every. I think because of the feathers flying everywhere, she was actually in a 1980s Ridley Scott studio. Okay, yeah. She's on the set that of Legends. Yeah. <laughs> she better be careful, though, because Tim Curry has those horns. So Mother Knight. Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she, there's like a body in the room under a sheet, and like this, it's under a white sheet, and this blood starts spreading all over it. It's really yeah. awesome. It's a really it's cool a, it's scene. It's a cool scene, yeah. It's a very, like, surreal. I, and, I mean... <laughs> Maybe it plays into everything that happens after, but it would be, it would have a very poetic meaning. It's it's hard to associate exactly what goes on in the stream with everything that then happens in the future. But Kirsty gets something out of it, and that is actually kind of the nature of dreams: is that they mean something more to the person who has them than anyone else. Right. So. Um, I'm not sure there's a lot of like symbolism that plays into the future, though I may be wrong on that. But it, it definitely like it piques her like interest. She she starts to think there might be something going on. Yeah, something's up. And then that's when we get the scene of Julia going to meet a guy at a bar just to bring home to Frank just to fucking get killed. And she seems kind of like and nervous she, about it and stuff. She she's not like quite a bloodthirsty bit blood bloodthirsty bitch at this point. She seems a little yeah. kind of like uh. 
Well, yeah, but she she does suit up in her best armor. She puts on the helmetist hairdo <laughs> and the shoulder paddiest shoulder pads from oh. the late eighties. Uh, yeah. She she looks like maybe a free safety. She's ready to square up and take out a uh, a guy fifteen yards downfield. Like <laughs> she, but she she also has that. That's the thing. That first off, I, I like the character of Julia. She's very complicated. Julia is like she's the driving force, really. It seems to me for the whole story. Yeah. But Claire Higgins really like, even though it's obvious she's nervous, she's also intense. Like she's so intense in this scene. Like she, it's like she's like, I have this goal, which is to go find a man, bring him home so he can be murdered. Yeah. And, and she's like, I'm going to do it. I'm nervous about it, but I'm going to fucking do it. And she, she's kind of freaky like that. So she's probably pretty, pretty stoked about it. Yeah. We, uh, in the next few scenes, we'll learn like she, she's, she is Frank's fucking equal. insane. Like, yeah, she, like she, that's exactly what she's not. She wasn't like seduced by Frank. No. She saw a kindred spirit in Frank. Yeah. And that spirit is I don't care about humanity. I don't care about other people's feelings. I care about my own pleasure and I care about what I get. Which they explore more in, in the sequel to this too, in Hellbound, Hellraiser yeah. 2. Yeah. Uh, which I very much enjoy and I want to cover on the show. And she, uh, she picks up this British guy, again, British guy at a bar. British. And, and she brings him home, and uh, they go up to Frank's room, and he's like, says something about, you know, I expected there to be a bed. And she's like, we don't need a bed or something like this. And uh, the dude yeah. undresses, and he's wearing the classic high socks and tidy whities. Just looks like a big pile of shit. Hey, man, it's a good look. You know, it's like T-shirt and jeans. Oh, high, high black socks, tidy whities maybe a stained white undershirt terry legs and, ju and just kind of look like will you be my mommy <laughs> like that that's like the look he has on his face like hey, i hope you'll be nice to me the ladies <laughs> love it the ladies love it and frank loves it too because he hits him with a hammer and fucking uh oh no she hits him with a hammer that's what happens yeah and yes. Is the shot's it's really badass. sick. It shows his like his his chin, his teeth are all busted up and stuff. Yeah. And Frank jumps on him and is fucking sucking him, getting that blood yeah. out of there. But he's like, "Don't look at me. Don't like, look at me." <laughs> he's got this issue where it's like, "Listen, I want you to constantly be in my presence, doing stuff for me, but don't look at me. Don't look at me." And uh, so Julia yeah. goes in the bathroom. She washes blood off and stuff like this. She comes back yeah, and, and the, the corpse is like a fucking California raisin. Yeah. Well, and the, that face washing scene, like she, she does a lot as an actress to like show us what she's going through. And yeah. you see this, like her looking in the mirror at the blood yeah. on her face and just sort of going through this, like, I guess what you would go through if you killed someone and found out you didn't feel anything yeah, she she just sort of like she looks in the mirror like I guess I should be ashamed. This is and me she's now. Like, well, I guess. Uh, well, I don't. It's like she, I don't really feel ashamed. And then she's kind of like there's almost a half smile before it cuts away. Like she's kind of just like okay, it's badass. Like, I'm fine with it. 
It is cool because I mean it's just like we were saying. She's fucked up as hell. Yeah, yeah. She she's uh, a she is a driving force in this movie, for sure. She goes back to Frank, who's just like a meat skeleton at this point, and he says, "Come to daddy." <laughs> he says, "Come to daddy." Okay, <sighs> listen. All right, now I know. Listen, uh, Apex Twin, we're fellow time travelers. Correct. We see you all the time. At the Time Traveler Airport. In the place. Yes, they have TSA there. And no, you can't take on a four-inch knife. No. You can take a three-and-a-half-inch, though, so it's a little better. Sure. Anyway, so we see him all the time. And I'll tell you this. I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> Apex Twins got that come-to-daddy jam. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Apex Twins, like, obviously gets that from this, right? Like, because this is – it's a – like really dark moment yeah. he's a he's a skeleton like just with loose sort of meat and blood everywhere Ugh. and that's kind of his signature line i guess through the movie come to daddy yeah he says that again later um and it makes a little more sense then <laughs> it's a lyric he yeah, Larry, he, he has Larry's skin on then uh larry comes home and julie like hides the body and stuff and locks herself up in the bathroom, and like uh, Larry's like, "Hey, are you okay?" And she's like, "Bring me brandy. I'm sick." <laughs> I guess that's what you do when you're British. You're like, "I'm sick, therefore brandy." Yeah, you have brandy, and then you have a digestive, and uh, then a nice biscuit, uh, a pims. Yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe a pims, right? And so Julie sees, sees Frank, and he's like, "Maybe you know, one or two more will will complete me." And he, he explains that they need to get away before the Cenobites figure out that he slipped by them. So you're like, oh, okay. So that scene at the first of the movie where they're assembling this, like, you know, meat face there, that's them figuring out, oh, shit, this isn't Frank's meat face. He's duped us and gotten away from them somehow. Yeah. And I, I we should note that the writer of Jerry Maguire has said a number of times that he meant in the you complete me scene yes. to, to infer... Uh, that to imply that you complete me, unlike Frank, who needed all those dead bodies to be completed, <laughs> and that's why that's why Renee Zellweger says shut up, and, and then there's like a pause because she said, you know, Hellraiser's my favorite movie, and then she says you had me at Hellraiser, and then they cut it and made it hello. Oh, yeah. God, that makes sense. Yeah, so. <laughs> And then we, uh, we cut right. to the pet store where Kirstie works at. Yeah, and, and that bum from earlier is there, right? Yeah, and he shows up and he's like, handful of crickets, sounds delish. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's getting his protein gloves. snack on. He's wearing those hobo gloves that like when I was when I was little in the eighties, they were also like punk rocker gloves. Like the the gloves that for some reason are cut off at the knuckles. Yes. And I guess I get it if it's a fashion statement, but if you're a bum living on the street, wouldn't you rather just have the rest of your fingers also covered? I I should think that you would want that, yeah. Unless you were I, working I, a smartphone. Maybe he's a time traveler, too, like us, and he needed his mom, fingers free to work his smart device. Oh, and he's from, he's from not as far in the future as we are, so they still have smartphones yeah. instead of those implants. Exactly, yeah. like we have in the future right now. 
Yeah, right. So, so he eats um, a handful of crickets, and then she kind of shoes him out. And she's like, you can't be in here eating crickets off your bum gloves. Now, this is the moment that I, I kind of wish that the character, the bum, was played by John C. Riley, and he was and he was incredulous as to why he had to leave. Like I wish, I wish when she came up, he was like, "What do you mean? What's going on? I'm just, having, snacks. I'm just having some crickets. Listen, I'm gonna pay you." And uh, we get another scene of like Julie leading another guy in to get killed by Frank, and mm-hmm. then this is where Frank sort of explains to her about the box, the box that we've seen at the first of the movie. And he yeah. says like. There's some cool dialogue here I had to transcribe because it's awesome, but he says, it opens the door to the pleasures of heaven or hell. I didn't care which. I got an experience yeah. beyond the limits. Pain and pleasure, individual. Indivisible. <laughs> individual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and individual. <laughs> With liberty and justice for all. And justice all. for all. <laughs> Amen. And then we, um, you know, Julia's like, oh, you know, we'll get away. They'll never, they'll never find us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's don't worry. Listen, they're they're not gonna be looking for you. They're gonna be looking for a meat puppet. So like, yeah. By I, the time we get you skin, we're out of here. Yeah, I don't know these guys, but I'm an expert on this stuff. We're gonna get away from them. <laughs> yeah, we'll be all right. And uh, so then we have like uh, Julia and Larry are like watching boxing or something like this on TV. Yeah, and uh, this is a cool moment because. Julia seems disinterested in the boxing. Yeah. And Larry says, like, something like, you know, is it too brutal for you? And she says, like, I've seen worse. <laughs> uh, it's it's a cool moment where it's just like, no, we've seen her kill people with a hammer. Yeah. I mean, look, if you're going to kill people, a hammer is a brutal way to go. It's a hell of a way to go about the job. There's much easier ways to do it. Yeah, so, but they're um, upstairs. Uh, Frank is having some, some troubles because, you know, his skin, uh, his skin hasn't grown, but his nerves have. He's having a so, spot of bother. Yeah, so, like, everything he touches hurts him. And so he's, he's moaning, and there's also, like, a, a thunderstorm. And uh, Larry hears a noise upstairs, and <laughs> Julia. I can't seem to come up with any plausible way of getting him to not go upstairs, but she basically is like, you know, I'm scared of thunder, etc. Uh, she decides to try to seduce him, basically. And they they go upstairs and they go into the room where Frank normally is, and they don't see him, and so she like seduces him into the bedroom, and as they're sort of doing their uh, tepid <laughs> kissing <laughs> on the bed um the the closet door opens and out comes frank uh you know skinless still but wearing clothes and he has a knife and he's wearing clothes because modesty yeah well he's like you know hey Okay, I don't want everybody seeing my nipples. He's got to think about his nipples. Yeah. And it's like, you don't have nipples, you don't have skin. And he's like, yeah, but I know where they're supposed to be. He's so. a reasonable man. Yeah. But he comes out with a knife, and Julia, who has... She's been reacting to Larry, like, you know, trying to keep his attention on her. But now she's reacting to um, Frank walking towards 
uh, Larry with the knife. And Frank has already said that he, you know, he could kill Larry and that would, you know, give him enough blood. Yeah. Um, and she, she's saying, no, no, I couldn't bear it. Like, I can't bear it. <sighs> and this is interesting because we know she doesn't have a problem with killing. Mm-mm, no. Um, or, and, and or we doing all, the nasty. I uh, maybe it is that she she does feel some sort of guilt that you know she she obviously dated Larry and like they came to a point where they were like we're happy or or you know maybe I I don't know why people get married. My wife and I got married because we are best friends and we wanted to be around each other all the time. Oh. But uh, you know people get married for other reasons like uh, you know like that's what people do you get married so maybe that was it but it seemed like she genuinely liked larry in that first flashback but kind of. that she was her, her her zest for life seems to be of a, of a different flavor than than larry's perhaps he seems to yeah to, to live a different lifestyle than uh mm-hmm. <laughs> but, would like their their, yeah. their relationship is somewhat of a of a question mark for me yeah it is is a weird thing but she obviously, I don't know, she, she's trying to protect him in some way. Or maybe she just doesn't want a guy to die on top of her. <laughs> I don't know. Might be that. But, um, Frank instead pulls out a rat. Uh, and, and we've seen in his, uh, his room. In his boudoir. That, yeah, in his boudoir, he likes to keep uh, some crucified rats. You know, just for... Hang them on <sighs> some nails for safekeeping, for easy access. Yeah. And people come over, you know, they see bare walls and they're like, oh, what a boring person. But, yeah. you know, they see crucified rats and they're like, okay, okay, what it, is this? He wants that place to have that good lived-in look. <laughs> the, yeah, the lived-in look of crucified rats. Dude, you know what they should do? The same way they do those, like, those like extreme home makeover shows, they should do, a, like, a Clive Barker extreme home makeover <laughs> where there's some people that are like... Well, you know, we have a budget of like, you know, $5,000 to redo our house. And Clive Barker is the one that gets to redo it. And he's like, well, uh, you can get nails for like, you know, maybe a penny each. And rats, rats are free if you can catch them. So we can nail some rats to the walls. And uh, <laughs> Rats are free if you can catch them. <laughs> and then he winks at them. And like, actually, he's saying I'm that really was like, catching I, I wish I could do his voice because he has like the most... It sounds like two slabs of concrete being rubbed up against each other. He kind of sounds like the rock monster <laughs> from the Neverending Story. <laughs> he has like yeah. the most gravelly voice of all time. He's like, uh, we could, we could make a meat pole for about fifteen dollars and put it on a lazy mm, susan, which you meat could spin. Pole, meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that would be fun. And that, or you know what? How about I do this? I go to some ancient like eastern bazaar i walk around until i find a table where they're only selling one thing i give them five thousand dollars for that we bring it back here we open that bitch up find out what happens (laughs) maybe it's like that (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah so uh frank guts a rat at the base of the bed while steve and julia are getting their bone on uh of course yeah you know larry being completely unaware of all this going on very fucking gross scene yeah, and Julia, I guess, you know, to be fair, watching someone disembowel a rat is a real boner killer. Like, <laughs> it's not, you know. Turn off. I mean, she could have just murder. said, like, 
she could have just said like oh look over there disemboweled rat i am no longer interested in having sex with you yeah instead she's all like eh, and larry's like i just don't get you women right <laughs> and, then he t- <laughs> and then he waits for laughs he's and an he's unlikable like, character airline food he really is he's got an unlikable face i don't like to say that he does um, he has that hate face does. that i just don't like I look at it and it's just like, I don't really, I don't like you. Pa- um, pass on your face, please. Pass. <laughs> you, uh, you, sir, have a very unfortunate face. <laughs> and so then, what's the next thing that we see there? I guess Larry kind of is with Kirsty. He's like, oh, you know, stop by and make friends with Julia. She's your mother now, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And so... And so Kirsty decides, like, oh, well, I'll, I'll go stop by. And, uh... Frank also tells Julia, like, I need, I need another, at least, you know, just one more. Um, and so she goes out and she gets this guy and Kirsty sees them walk into the home together. Yeah. And I, then I guess she just waits outside, which I guess I understand again, like you already dislike your stepmom and feel like she's walking all over your dad and now you see her walking into the home with another man like it's a complicated situation maybe you don't just want to walk in and be like hey what the what the hell's going on here um so she just sort of waits outside a little bit and <laughs> julia takes this guy upstairs and as they're going upstairs oh the guy says i get lonely sometimes <laughs> and it, it's like up to this point, like, none of the guys that have been killed have I really felt much sympathy for. Though I should. I mean, like, <laughs> they didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this guy This guy's like, totally shot. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, poor guy. Yeah. It's lonely. Oh, have you thought of getting a dog? Just, <laughs> I don't know. Don't She's, follow strange women home. Go get a dog and take up a hobby. And that guy gets hammered, right? He does. Yeah, he gets hammered and listen as the hammer's coming at him he's like please hammer don't hurt him and and <laughs> and right after the hammer hits julia in hammer pants starts doing the hammer dance she's like oh 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 oh, oh, oh. <laughs> can't touch this <laughs> it's an odd beat in the movie really but i do like it, it. is I, I liked it i mean it's my favorite part honestly it's just part of the time 1987 it was just part of the times much like yeah. smoking indoors Wearing hammer yeah. pants and, and doing the hammer dance during murder. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also part of the times. <laughs> so um, Julia hears the screams. And so oh, she no, Kirst- runs in. Kirst- Kirst- or not Julia, Kirsty okay. Hears the screams in the home. So she runs in. Because um, Kirsty is much like most of the female characters in any of the movies we've done. Uh, she's a badass. She's Bring not like, I'm going to hear... Yeah, she's not like, I'm going to hear somebody screaming and then be like, I don't know what to do. She's like, I'm going to go find out what's happening. And what she finds is that upstairs, um, Julia and her skinless uncle are murdering people. (laughs) Not what you expect to see, really. Mm Mm-hmm. Skinless uncle sounds like because dad bands in the future aren't going to be like easy rock. They're going to be what dads listen to. So when metal dads start a dad band in their 40s, like maybe skinless uncle be a name. (laughs) (laughs) I think that sounds about right. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, and so they're not stoked to see old Kirstie. 
You know what? And look, all right, I understand that Kirsty's had some problems with Julia, but it's like, oh, you stopped by to surprise me. Like, how nice. And uh, then, like, the dead guy, like, falls through the door and stuff, and, like, Frank grabs Kirsty, and he's like, come to daddy. <laughs> yeah, again. <laughs> come on, guy. <laughs> like, get, a, get another line. Just, I don't know, like. I, I want your skin. Now, I've read That's some reviews creepy. and stuff of this before that some people saw into this as, and especially too, like there's sort of a reaction after he says that line and after Kirstie realizes it's Uncle Frank. Uh-huh. She has this like very freaked out reaction. I've, I've read some reviews and stuff where some people read into it that all of this is meaning to say that like maybe Frank molested her when she was a kid. Did you get that oh. out of it? I didn't. I don't really think I got that out of this, but it's a, a disgusting angle to think about. I would believe it. He I seems would like a believe, bad person. He does, and I, I would also believe it's possible he is her dad. Also, I mean, completely like possible. He, hey, I mean, we've seen him have sex with at least one of his brother's wives. Yeah, you're right. That would be weird, yeah, if that was actually her dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting. But, uh, okay, so this is, again, cool because Kirstie, she's in this, you know, murder room. obviously, murder room. Um, and she grabs the puzzle box, and she sees his reaction to her grabbing the puzzle box. No, don't scrim it. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, well, all right, uh, obviously this is important, so I'm going to throw this out the window. Yeah. Um. Like she, she, she doesn't back down from any of this. She's not worried. Like she is worried for her life, but she's not. She's not just curling up in a ball, right? Which I think I would probably do if I saw a skinless person. If I saw my uncle's my uncle's sand skin, I would probably have a stronger reaction than she did. Mm. Yeah. I'd be like, I, I mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly like that. Like, what, fuck. Like, fuck. <laughs> Why, where'd your skin go? So she throws the box out the window, and then she runs down the stairs. She grabs the box out of the bushes on the way, and she's running down the street. And she like passes by some. She passes by some nuns, mm-hmm. and then she like Who passes like, out ah. or something, right? Yeah, she. You know, I, I don't know. Just shock, etc. Maybe she ran. Like full speed for too long and just ran out of oxygen. I don't know, but she just passes out. And she wakes up uh, in, wh- in a hospital. Yeah. Um, and the doctor and the nurse are standing over and they're like, I don't think she's going to make it. Oh shit, she's waking up. Stop talking. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, no, they're like asking her questions and things. Um, and they're like, We found you with this box. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know. Like, what what is the point of giving her the box back like maybe this will help (laughs) yeah just keep it with her belongings and when you discharge her give her her belongings yeah 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 i don't really know it's a strange doctor it's a strange hospital (laughs) and uh maybe he looked at it and he was like i can feel that this might cure her (laughs) and so she uh she sits down and she's kind of working she's kind of working that little boxy box there and um, an interesting thing, the box starts to sort of activate and open itself up and all this jazz. Yeah. And whereas earlier, whenever Frank opened the box, there was like this blue sort of energy bolts sort of shot out of it. With Kirstie, uh-huh. there's, there's pink lightning bolts. I think 
because she's a girl and Frank's a boy. We know the Cenobites are sexist. The name of the only female Cenobite is Female, female Cenobite. <laughs> so pink bolts for the girls, blue bolts yeah. for the boys. Yeah. And, um, and so then... Actually, it, though, now that I think about it, and this is interesting, naming her female Cenobite could be just like lazy sexism, but it also could be calling out what she represents i mean because her throat's ripped away like basically she's voiceless even though she can talk like she's had her throat sort of ripped away maybe Ugh. it is like a representation of yeah. uh of the way men look at women as a this monolithic structure that has nothing to say to us like Ugh. all women are just female woman wow that's some cold-blooded shit Mm -hmm. I'll take my check now, Clive Barker. I don't know if you knew this, but he, he put a $25,000 reward on anybody who could figure out female Cenobite. <laughs> and so then, like, the she works the box of stuff, and we see the walls of the hospital kind of, like, open up and stuff, and she hears, like, a baby crying, and then she sees this lobster beast in the hallway. Yeah, that thing is called the Engineer... I've never seen um, him drive a train even once, though. I think that's bullshit. Now, I'd have loved if, like, right when it cut to him, if it did show him wearing, like, a cute little engineer hat and, like, some overalls. And a, and a red he, kerchief. He, like, quickly dashes him away, and he's like, oh, oh, oh and he takes him off, and he's like. Actually, actually, just he's wearing those things, and we see him from the back, and we hear, come on, Eileen. <laughs> and, and he's, he's like, I don't Midnight like Dexter's Midnight Runner. What? <laughs> <laughs> and so, actually the reason he's called the engineer is because he's so good at math oh wow yeah doesn't look like it but he's the guy to go to for math tutoring so he didn't even look like he had that many fingers to count on though that's the thing no that's toes that amazed not one that's his motivation though is he needs to catch people and kill them so he can count on their toes yeah you can kind of hear him just if you turn it up and you listen on headphones. You can kind of hear him. He's like, sorry about this. Just need your fingers. He's doing maths. He's doing maths. <laughs> As the British say. As they say. And he, he, this lobster sort of weird large prawn creature sort of chases her down this hallway. And she runs back into the hospital. And it's cool, too, because you can still hear the beast, like, behind the wall. It's really creepy. Yeah. It's yeah, cool. it's a, yeah, it's it's um, like it, that scene. It, in, if if you watch the second movie, like the second movie is like everything beyond that wall. It's like that world. Yeah. Uh, so that scene actually just opens up the whole world of the Hellraiser series. It does. Even though it's just like a small sort of scene, it shows us that like, oh, there's another dimension. It exists like parallel, uh, you know, to within reality. dimensions. Yeah. And, yeah. So, um, she wears the box, and then the other Cinnabons show up, right? Yeah, they do. And um, the, the chatter does his traditional greeting. Yeah, which is uh, creepy. But as you know, in his language, he's talking about love. That's his love language. He's like, I'm gonna yeah. show up and immediately put my middle and ring fingers directly in your mouth. Yeah, he's like, he's like, this is a greeting in our world. It means I respect you. I learned she's about like, ah. different love languages 
reading men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And some people are gift givers. Some people uh-huh. are uh, complimenters. Some yeah. people are fish hookers. That's true. Some people are fish hookers and some people are fish hookies. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, a, it's, it's a give a, and take situation. Yeah, that that is a, that is a a, a, a sub genre of the submissive culture is fish hookies. And uh, mm-hmm. Pinhead is like, she's like, what's this box? And he's like, it is a means to summon us. And then he says, my favorite <laughs> line, which he says, we are explorers in the further regions of experience, demons mm-hmm. to some, angels to others. So fucking cool. Um, I, okay, look, and it is, and absolutely everything about the way Pinhead is played is awesome. Yeah, but it's fucking rad. If there were a reboot and Werner Herzog said those lines, Ooh. even more menacing. Ooh. I would back that. <laughs> like, yeah, like it would be so, because like that's the sort of shit you hear in his documentaries. Like, it's... It's like it presents us with this idea of these people who exist in a plane you can't even imagine, and what they do in that plane is seek out pain. Yeah, the pain Ugh. plane. <laughs> the pain plane. Yep. And uh, Pinhead's like, "Come with us, taste our pleasures." No tears, Jeez, please. It is a waste of good suffering. Like, there's so many sick yeah. lines that are delivered just in yeah. a row right there. Waste of good suffering is uh, a great line. I really, like, the moment I heard that, I was like, yeah, yeah. No one else would say that except for a Cenobite. Like, it's so good. And then she's like, oh, you know, my, my uncle Frank escaped from you guys. I'll take you to him instead. And, he, and that's when Pins, Pinhead says... Something about, like, if she lies, we'll tear your soul apart, which is badass. Yeah. Um, so she promises to take them to Frank. Yeah. And... I guess the I, Cenobites have a very strict, like, no-leaving policy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, look... He didn't check right? out. He didn't check out properly. It fucks with our paperwork. Okay. <laughs> we have a we roll get call. Audited. Suddenly it's like, oh, this guy, when did he check out? Or is he still in your rooms and you're letting him stay there for free? Then in the altered dimension IRS, suddenly we're in jail. And uh, Julia and Frank are there being like, oh, no, you know, Kirstie's going to tell Larry and stuff. And then Larry just happens to come home. Bad timing, Larry. <laughs> Uh, I think Larry in general just he has bad timing, bad judgment, bad character, bad probably bad breath. Honestly, he looks like his Ugh. breath stinks. Yeah, not like not like that type of stench you can identify either. And it's not constant. It's just like when he says like a pee near you, you're like, oh god damn it, Frank! Like, what is that? Don't, um, don't be close to me, <laughs> Frank. Just listen. I'm going to get you some Tic Tacs. And <laughs> <laughs> a medicated okay, so Frank, mouthwash. 
<laughs> Wait, what is this pinhead talking to? Yeah. <laughs> Have you thought of a medicated mouthwash? <laughs> I mean, look, we want to experience all things, but your breath. Ugh. Not so much. I, I would not take his advice on oral care whatsoever. His teeth look really gross. That's a cool little mm-hmm. makeup detail they put on Doug Bradley. Yeah. Is like his teeth look fucking messed out. They look really gross. <laughs> oh my god Ugh. what if that's what if that's the like they make the final sequel is a hellraiser that occurs in like a trailer in west virginia and they get there and they're like you know we're uh, beyond good and evil or whatever and like everybody in the room is just methed out oh dude and, and like how, how it comes <laughs> together is like Fucking fucking gym boys like, hey, y'all ready to raise some hell or what? (laughs) (laughs) I love this. Oh my god, that's like it's like it's like a weird like combo of like uh uh the what is that? Uh, Tucker and Dale versus the evil. Oh yeah, yeah. And and Hellraiser, yeah. And he has like he like, keeps the meth in like the puzzle box, and he's like, "You got to unlock it a certain way to get it open." That's, I hide my drugs in here because of that. <laughs> <laughs> he, keeps his, he keeps his meth in a box that opens up a dimension that brings out people looking to experience the most exquisite pains. Mostly and just meth, just like, though. Yeah, mostly just meth. Like, whenever they come out there, they're like, oh, um, oh, do you think we could get some meth? And he's like, if you got money. And they're like, we have no money. And he's like, well, you ain't getting no meth. And they're like, please. Like, like the chatterer <laughs> comes over and starts chattering at him. Like, you know, I love you. <laughs> I think this is a, it's really a, it's really the type of reworking the likes of which has only really been seen in something like, Maybe the Wiz. <laughs> yes, maybe the Wiz. You know what? That's, that's what we'll call it. We'll, we'll <laughs> say, we'll say, um, we'll say, uh, uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil meets Hellraiser. Yeah, it's basically the Wiz. It's basically the Wiz. Raise hell. So, yeah, raise hell. Uh, Larry comes home, and then let's see what's the sequence that happens right there. Um, she comes down, uh, Julia comes down, and she's trying to stop him from going up to Frank. Um, yeah, but... Again, maybe trying to spare him. Yeah, but she's also, she doesn't seem to be putting a lot of effort into it also. <sighs> like, I think maybe she's, <laughs> she's worked through whatever little bit of guilt she might have felt. Um... So yeah, now we get we get the confrontation between Larry and I mean he he obviously couldn't tell it's Frank immediately. Uh, he's not like that's my brother. I'd know him even without skin. <laughs> but yeah, so they have their confrontation, which uh, turns out about as well for Larry as you could imagine. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't stand much of a chance. Yeah, so Frank takes Larry's skin. Kirsty comes back to the house, and she's like, oh, here's Julia, and here's my dad, but he's kind of got blood all over his hairline and and stuff, but I guess Uh it's probably him-ish. And he's not acting like himself, but I mean, again, like, 
I think uh, I think they play this really well because she is a little suspicious because she's like, why, why is my dad acting differently? But it's obvious that that's what she's thinking is why is my dad? She's not thinking, why is someone in my dad's skin? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's not something you typically go to. Yeah, so like obviously she thinks he's acting weird, but she doesn't think like, oh, well, this is that uh, meat beast I saw earlier. And so she goes upstairs and she sees like the... She's like, Frank is upstairs. I don't believe it. And yada, yada. And she wants to go up there to see him. And but she goes up there and sees like the smoking corpse, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a smoking corpse because I guess the room is cold and he was so recently de-skinned that like the heat from his muscles is making steam rise. I don't know. It's pretty metal. Yeah, no, obviously. Listen, I'm assuming that when I'm de-skinned, which is how I, when I die, and really, honestly, I want to be metal as fuck, like right as I'm dying, just go ahead and de-skin me. Yes. <laughs> and, and then get a good film of the smoke rising off, you know, and then take a couple of pieces of my skull and wear them around your neck as a necklace. Sure. Oh, dude, black metal as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and then my notes here are really messy. I don't really understand what I was writing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Kirsty shows up. Uh, there's some weirdness going on. Kirsty catches on that something is happening. Yeah. Um, she has the puzzle box. Uh, she runs from them and hides in a room where she finds a corpse that is covered in maggots. Old maggot corpse. You know, and that's. We've, we've seen a lot of maggots just in the first three movies that we've covered. And at some point Lots here, of maggots. doesn't Julia, Julia like grabs Kirsty and is holding her and like Frank as Larry is like going to stab Kirsty, but then he ends up stabbing Julia instead. But yeah, he, he doesn't really seem to really care that much. He's like nothing personal and just like fucking yeah. drains Julia and kills her. Yeah. I, he, I'm gonna go ahead and say this. I think Frank is a, he's dishonorable. Like, it's not a nice not man. Be, he might not be good. Might not be a good guy. Yeah, he, um, but she's obviously, uh, she doesn't take it too bad. <laughs> that that <laughs> Julia, like she seems, I don't know, she doesn't seem to be too overly. Um, surprised by it. Yeah, she's like, "Well, you are kind of a shitty person." Let's be. Yeah. Real. There's and a little, there's a little cat and mouse between Kirsty and Frank, and then basically Kirsty, uh, kind of lures him into the, this room where she summoned the Cenobites, and they show up, and they there's like a bunch of chained hooks that fly through the air and, and hook Larry Frank up, right? Yeah, and the the. The, they get the fish hooks in the side of his face and his face is like stretched out Ugh. and distorted and he it like shows his face and he he has this like demented sort of smile he can't fully smile because his face is being pulled by wires and fish hooks uh, but he he just goes Jesus wept and then just starts laughing and now, then gets I've, torn apart yeah, and then it gets torn apart. Now, I, I've thought about this a lot. 
Like, why, why, um, quote that verse? Yeah. Um, so that's that's an iconic part of the movie. Yeah. Here's what I think. All of this, every bit of it, uh, from his resurrection, from his escape, his resurrection, Mm -hmm. his, um, you know, his dealings with Julia, the killings, et cetera, all of this to him, the goal isn't necessarily to fully escape the Cenobites. His goal is to just continue his sadomasochistic game. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not really a happy so, li- happily ever after game he's thinking of. Yeah, he he doesn't yeah, he doesn't foresee like everything will turn out great. What he sees is I can cause misery and pain in other people if I escape these Cenobites. Yeah. And I will do it for as long as I can until they catch me and rip me apart again. Yeah. And I love it. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. Oh. Such a fucked up character. Yeah, <laughs> fucking Frank. And then the the Cenobites aren't really done though. The Cenobites still want Kirsty for whatever reason. Yeah, I'm um, not really sure about that. I I feel like when I look at Pinhead, I think that's a man of his word. Yeah, you know, I you know this seemed untrue to the character, <laughs> but they do. They turn on her like we're gonna get you, um, and. They decide, I guess, decide to do it one at a time. Like, it's a kung fu movie. Uh, <laughs> they don't really gang so, up on her, like... So each one of them makes, like, a slow, steady step toward her while saying, like, evil things or making weird faces. Talking smack. But, yeah, and she she beats each one of them. Um, she comes across she, Julia's corpse on a bet. Dude, This to me, this that scene is, like really unsettling she walks into this room because she's trying to find the the box and so she walks into this room and she sees julia's corpse on a bed it looks like the skin has been ripped off of her face or something mm-hmm. yeah and she's got all these chains around her on the bed but her hands are holding the box it almost looks like that um that francis bacon painting that was, it's just called like uh head number five or something like that mm-hmm. yeah it's really fucking cool and so yeah. Kirsty grabs the box and works on it and stuff and um what happens there steve shows so, up yeah steve shows up thank she, god she works the I box mean, and it, like shoots late like really fucking shitty looking lasers out at the cenobites and makes them blow up yeah and i listen let's just be clear that was obviously a tie-in with Cinnabon, they were like, hey, like, what if those lasers turn the Cinnabites into cinnamon rolls? <laughs> and they shot that. Um, and then they were like, this doesn't really work. So they went back and they, they shot, like, the deaths. Um, <laughs> so she takes out, like, in order, she takes out uh, female Cinnabite, then the Chatterer, then... Uh, or wait, is it female Cenobite, Pinhead, then Chatterer, and then Butterball, who just comes in, licks his lips, and then the ceiling falls on him? Yeah, like, the, like his death is just like a physical death. Like the other ones got like neutralized or yeah, you know, I don't know, vanquished. But like he just sort of has like a doorway fall on him. <laughs> yeah, and so she and Steve are gonna escape through the front door, but the front door is now like 
a hallway into that alternate dimension and here comes the engineer like i want your fingers and uh like grab he gets the puzzle box so does he or does he he like knocks the puzzle box out of her hand yeah and, and like she they're like fighting uh and she, she finally she gets the puzzle box and steve tries to take it from her steve like, you don't know what the fuck you're doing man yeah seriously dude we, we just saw her take out four centibytes and you're gonna be like oh i got this don't worry listen okay uh well actually it's like guys are better at puzzle boxes so he, he was about <laughs> to do some mansplaining he was he was gonna mansplain her how the puzzle box worked and, and it would have been really interesting too because the engineer would have been like yeah so you should listen to him because like we're both men and then like they'd gang up on her and be like you don't really play video games i think it'd be really great if if the engineer got really mad because they assumed his gender <laughs> oh shit that would be awesome because listen engineers can be women too <laughs> kirstie and steve leave and Okay, I guess they just find like some old abandoned bum fire or something like this. Uh, yeah, a lot of abandoned bum fires. They were like, there'll be one nearby. And she throws the box in the fire, and then that bum, that old cricket-eating bum, shows up. <laughs> and it turns oh, out, psych, he's actually a winged bone demon. What the <laughs> fuck? Oh my god. That's one of the I most see. like random turns of about any movie I've ever seen. He's like this damn prehistoric dragon looking bone winged thing that grabs the box and flies off. I Okay. I, it doesn't even match the aesthetic of the rest no, of the movie. I, I do have a number of questions about that, but first I seriously want to get into a redneck argument and I want to call somebody a cricket eating bum. <laughs> and then, and then, as it escalates, I'll call him a winged bone demon. Well, dude, those are all things that are going to be like deep cut fan service references in Raisin Hell, yes. our meth box movie. <laughs> Razor, raising hell. Yeah. Get out of here, you fucking bum. Give me my meth. <laughs> I got, I got this hookup with my buddy Winged Demon. He gets the meanest yeah. shit from Tijuana, man. Should fuck you up. He's got the worst wing tattoos on his back that he got from a buddy <laughs> who stole a tattoo gun. I'm well, wing, he didn't. Wing he Demon. didn't even wait. He didn't even wait for his buddy to, like, practice it. He was just like, all right, you got it. Put wings on my back. I started his nickname because my name is actually Wayne Damon. And uh, Wayne I just kind of thought Wayne Damon kind of sounded sort of like Wayne Damon. Mm. So, fucking hell, man. <laughs> yeah. Tattoos. And also, I sell meth. So, <laughs> I have a captive audience of people that have to pretend my tattoos are cool. <laughs> I uh, I don't so understand the, the wing demon thing whatsoever. because okay, like I said, I, it's like I, it, it doesn't match anything in the movie at all. I have a, a few questions that I think can help us get at it. I don't necessarily have the answers. Okay, is the is the hobo uh, slash winged demon um, at the end? Is he the merchant? that sells the puzzle box the chinaman yeah because we see him at the very end of the movie and he's selling the box yeah. to somebody else and he's like what's your pleasure yeah or, or is he actually like some sort of a servant 
Yeah, or is he uh, like, is the winged demon uh, a Cenobite? Because they don't have any particular look. I mean, I they mean, all seem to. I like to think though that considering they all look kind of bondagey, I like to think that yeah. like maybe whenever the special effects model for the winged demon showed up to set, I like to think that Clive Barker was like, I don't know, can we, can we at least put like a gag ball in its mouth or something? <laughs> And then they're like, no, it doesn't make, like, they don't make gag balls big they, enough to fit winged demons that wouldn't exist. They'd have to fabricate that just for a winged demon. And they, it's not really gagging they, on anything. It's just bones. They ended up compromising. And if you were able to zoom in close enough, you'd see that the winged demon has a butt plug in. <laughs> and also you... You hear it as it flies away. It says, I got the box for you, mistress. Oh. So, yeah, it's S&M as fuck. <laughs> um, so, anyway, okay, so I think, I think you, you're right. What I'm thinking now, this is a joke somewhat, but the aesthetic of the Cenobites certainly is, um, is, is, influential in the aesthetic of the way that the characters in the matrix dress when they're in the matrix right lots of black leather the matrix also calls into question the very ideas of reality good evil etc and so so definitely i i think that hellraiser inspires the matrix it's a prequel is it possible this is kind of a joke but maybe is it possible that the winged demon at the end that's the thing or that that is one of the type of creatures that actually rules this alternate dimension and the cenobites are like their their green lantern core or oh. their men in black like they go they're the police they go catch people that escaped yeah huh and in, in this universe of bone demon things yeah, so yeah, these are just servants. I mean, they and get you, their pleasures, et you know cetera, what, but though, they're just now, servants. Now that you point that out, you know, as we see in like Hellraiser 2, where like you said, we see more of the universe behind the walls, mm-hmm. so to speak. Like when you see um, Leviathan, it it definitely mm-hmm. doesn't have the bondagey look of the Cenobites. Mm-hmm. It's never really said that the Cenobites are the rulers of that world, now that you mention it. And you know what you don't find out probably a cut scene in the second one is that the leviathan is actually a dude in a dragon costume <laughs> that's his that's his s&m thing like it's a really uncomfortable costume it's kind of and a niche he fetish dra- he hates dragons like, <laughs> he's this he's like super submissive and female cenobite told him to put on that dragon costume and fucking stay in it and he was like yes mistress and then <laughs> So the, where where the movie ends, there's in that foreign land, and we see the merchant guy, and he's pawning the box off on somebody else. So we just kind of get the idea that, and the and the story goes on. Yeah. So people are constantly being drawn into this game of just uh, uh, it's a game. I mean, this is a Lovecraftian world where you know higher beings from alternate dimensions play games with humans, like because humans to them are just inferior beings they're like ants to us um hit me with some of your likes and dislikes about this movie what's some of the things you liked about this movie um okay so 
I like how this goes so far outside of genre. Yeah. This it's not a slasher film. Mm-mm. This is not a it's not a monster movie. Mm-hmm. Uh this fits more in line maybe with Cronenberg, maybe with some yeah. of uh some of John Carpenter's stuff, especially his weirder stuff like Prince of Darkness and and things like that that just question the very nature of reality. Oh, in the mouth of madness, yeah. which spoiler alert, we cover in the future. Future, future, future. Yeah. Um so I I like the and you know, it's it's the ability to use the the principles of horror and the principles of the genre and to still like be creative and to expand it out into new levels of like terror and horror and fear um and, and this happened a lot in the late 90s and in our late 80s and early 90s is that and they're not the movies i guess that people typically think of as like the the great horror movies but they there were a lot of creative writers and directors who were looking for new ways to scare people instead of just relying on the old-fashioned stuff so i really like that about this yeah yeah definitely so mm-hmm. um dislike at points it seems like it's shot like a soap opera i can totally see that yeah i mean that's again this is a novelist uh, turned screenwriter turned director suddenly so you know he's gonna he may have some issues at first the the flashback scenes especially are too soft focus and too just too soap opera to me I could totally um, see that. though i mean I, I, if we do imagine that that's how that's how julia remembers it then maybe you know we can give some credence to that but it, it just seems a little a little lame how about you? What do you like about this movie? What do you dislike? You know, I would say as far as like the likes goes, I like the I like the type of horror this is because it's like you said, it does not really rely on any sort of traditional tropes of mm-hmm. jump scares or anything like that. I don't know. Most a lot of this movie takes place in broad daylight too. Like there's not like I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not like all at night and smoke mm-hmm. and darkness and filtered and everything's mm-hmm. not, you know, fucking blue green like every horror movie is now yes that teal color that everything is in horror movies now mm. um i like that a lot i really like the aesthetic the costume work and stuff of the cenobites is fucking incredible i mean the special mm-hmm. effects makeup and costumes mm-hmm. yep. are are awesome and so detailed and i kind of feel like every time that i watch these flicks and like you know really get a look at the cenobites it's like i notice different things about their costumes and stuff um I really, really like the the look of it. I think it's really cool. I like, too, that this movie, especially when you consider, again, 1987 when this came out, um, dealing with sex in horror movies is is totally nothing new. I mean, um, there's always been an element of, you know, girl in a shower getting murdered, like going back to Psycho, Mm -hmm. or all of the classic slasher flicks. You know, it's kids having sex and getting murdered. The most vulnerable moments in your life are during sex and while you're on the toilet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's an easy way to scare people. But this movie brings the sexual element in, in a completely different way um, with its weird uh, sadomasochist, you know, mm-hmm. I won't even say undertones, blatant overtones that are presented throughout the yeah. movie. 
it's just a really mm-hmm. interesting element that nobody else would even touch with a 10-foot pole um, mm-hmm. back then, which I think is really interesting. And even even today is not something that you see in flicks. So I like that about it a lot, too. I like Kirstie. Yeah. Um, I like that it's a small cast and a small number of locations. Generally, it seems like a lot of my favorite horror flicks are ones that just have, you know, a cast of four or five people and, like, you know, two or three locations. Um, those tend to be ones yeah. that I like a lot. Yeah, I would agree on that for sure because it, it, provide, it provides this sort of, like, uh, closeness claustrophobia that already raises the tension. As far as dislikes goes... Uh, Larry's face is a strong dislike. <laughs> um, the some of the some of the dubbing and acting is definitely very questionable. Again, like we said, like the not only the fact that they chose to dub Frank, but the guy that they got to dub his voice, who has that Frank voice that delivers everything <laughs> in a very melodramatic sort of way, is yeah. is really odd. Um, in a way, I like how surreal that is, but it doesn't really fit in with everything else in the movie, you know? Like, if it was in, if this was in an Italian horror flick, I'd, I'd go right along with it and wouldn't even question it. Yeah. Um, but I think that kind of, that takes me out of it a little bit. You um, know? I'm trying to give any other dislikes. I, you know, okay. I'm going to say my dislike and your dislike may have given me a little different understanding here. The 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 surreal quality of his voice being dubbed. He he only speaks with that dubbed voice. Yeah. In her flashbacks that are also soft filtered and seem soap opera. Yeah. So like maybe I you know maybe maybe we're overlooking uh, a creative stroke there where it was like well when we show the flashbacks let's only show it through Claire's like fantasy of what was happening oh right where maybe he had this soap opera like, voice and stuff too yeah and maybe yeah maybe he's been away from her so long she doesn't even remember what his voice sounds like i mean it that's could be. A, a sad truth of when people go away you stop you stop remembering those things about them. what would you give this flick on a on a scale of one to ten well i love this movie and i um um really like the creativity and the the new branches of horror that it opens up uh i'm gonna go ahead and say it's an eight and a half i think that's exactly where i would put i think it's an eight and a half out of ten it's it's one that's Mm -hmm. fun for me to watch yeah um, anytime pretty much any old time and it's really fun to watch this movie with people for the first time Mm -hmm. if somebody hasn't seen this movie it's always a real joy to watch it with them and just watch their reactions to stuff being like what the fuck are you showing me like there's some flicks like that that I really love just to show people. Yeah. I, yeah, because this... I mean, the thing you would think, and I think most people would associate with Hellraiser, uh, Pinhead. The, the Cenobites and Pinhead, they're, they're not... A, like, they're, they're a driving force in the movie, but they're... They're neither the good or the evil. The evil is Julia and and Frank. The good is Kirstie. And, you know, Larry's stupid face is somewhere in between. Um, (laughs) But, like, I I think anybody who sees this for the first time is probably going to be surprised by how little the Cenobites are in the movie and how little they seem to... Like, how, how 
less intimidating they are by the end because um kirsty just handles them it's true that was a surprise to me the first time that i saw these two is because you know i knew going into watching elm street the first time oh freddy krueger's the bad guy and then you watch it and it's like yep he kills people and then you watch mm -hmm. not a good dude yeah you watch you know halloween you're like oh michael myers is a bad guy and then he kills people mm -hmm. but it's like going into hellraiser mm -hmm. i had seen you know all through my childhood and stuff i'd seen the sweet ass hellraiser vhs box and seen pinhead's you know face mm -hmm. and advertisements in comic books and magazines and stuff and i'm like oh okay you know in this movie pinhead's the bad guy but then you start watching and you're like okay it's not just pinhead there's there's three other ones too and then you're like and they actually don't kill anybody in the movie no well i guess they, they, they kill to... julia i mean uh, there's intimidation but okay so we have to take uh, clive barker is um uh, he's a gay male who is interested in S&M. Mm -hmm. He has obviously been able to push himself to different levels of experience that have opened up doors of creativity to him that probably wouldn't have been open uh, any other way. Mm -hmm. The Cenobites, they don't come for Frank because they're like, let's pick a random human like Satan does in the Bible. Right. Like they're not like, let's pick a random human. You have he to invite invites, them in your life. He invites them to come and rip apart his soul. Yeah. Like, what? they haven't done anything wrong. They've entered into a contract with a willing person. And that's so different so, when you compare them to a Freddy Krueger or a Jason or a Michael Myers. Yeah, who are doing wrong things. Yeah. Even if there is a weird morality to it, they're doing wrong things. Yeah. Very cool movie. I really, really like. Yeah. Do, do you like the sequels? Uh, yeah. There, I, I like how weird they get, and I, I think is it the third or fourth one where it opens up with the person creating the puzzle box? Yeah, that's four, which is Bloodlines. Yeah. I think it's called. That that one has some cool stuff in it. Um, that's, yeah, I like that opening a lot. And it kind of that movie sort of has a bunch of flashbacks to the past where you see how the box the lament configuration was put together and stuff it also has all these dumb flash forwards to the future which are fucking stupid but yeah the flashback parts in that are really cool i like hellraiser 2 uh hellbound a lot it's uh it very much has the same feel it really feels like kind of kill bill one and two where it's just picking right up where this left off mm -hmm. um I like, yeah I like it a lot three has some corny shit anything past four is is not even worth uh, watching they're fucking horrible um, you know now that i think about it i remember in three when they travel to the forest moon of indoor and it's like who are these teddy bears exactly man they go to the teddy yeah. bear planet and it's they yeah. sing and they do a little dance and at the end you see the cenobites heads on spikes and they're playing them like drums and it's like ah we're eating humans <laughs> cute <laughs> and everyone's having cute. a great time <laughs> Um, the other, yeah, like I said, the later ones, I found out too, a bunch of the later Hellraisers were just like basically just spec script like monster movies. And then some yeah. piece of shit was like, well, let's just make the monster the, the pinhead and uh, well, it's a Hellraiser yeah. movie now. That happens a lot or happened a lot with low budget horror movies for a while. Yeah. Um, Pretty fucking I think I, I think now we're in just a renaissance of horror movies. You, you can pick one out of three random indie horror movies that have come out in the past five years is gonna be one of the better movies you're gonna see 
in a year. Yeah, like, definitely. There's so many great horror movies coming out that have such a good perspective and such an artistic ideal um, that <laughs> to think that Pinhead also started that way. It also started in a moment that could have been a big renaissance for horror movies. It could have been like, let's get past the slasher and really start frightening people. It could have been that way. Um, and we see that here, like there's, there's the beginning of that, but it just doesn't go that way. And now, and now it is going that way and it's great. It's so awesome that people are able to take these tiny budgets and, and just make awesome horror movies. Which of course there's all this talk now of a Hellraiser, uh, reboot that I guess they're fucking working on. Of Mm -hmm. course, which is, uh, much like we said about the Pumpkinhead remake that they're also talking mm -hmm. about likely to be a pile of garbage. Yeah, I okay. So we've got we've got Freddy versus Jason, which you know everybody was calling for. It was like, I want to see, I want to see Brand, I want, I want to see Pacino, and I want to see Robert De Niro on screen. And we got Heat, and then it was like, well, what's next? Freddy versus Jason, <laughs> and then can't top that. Boom, The Ring versus The Grudge. Oh, my God. Batman v. Superman. Batman v. Superman. Ugh. Uh, But now, I mean, I'm just saying, we we got Hellraiser. We got Joanna Man. Like, (laughs) maybe they do a a Hellraiser versus versus Pumpkinhead. (laughs) I would actually, I would think that would be interesting because... Pumpkinhead is a demon of vengeance. Um, only, and he gets he gets pleasure out of causing pain. Like he really likes hurting people, and so do they. So maybe they would end up joining forces. Like, did, didn't Jason and Freddy join forces in Freddy versus Jason? You know what? It might end up being what it really might end up becoming too, though, is basically Itchy the Killer, because you have one thing that loves receiving pain, and you have another thing that loves dishing out pain. Yeah. Because that's all that yeah. Ichi is about. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it just ends up being exactly like that. All goes back to Ichi. Or maybe we just turn it into a porn parody. Yeah. Hellraiser and Pumpkinhead porn parody. I don't know what you call it. Like, <laughs> the Hellrection and p- Pussyhead. I don't know. I see the female Cenobite with her vivisected throat and somebody being like, you ever get freaky with that thing? <laughs> Everybody just starts vomiting. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, that's the reaction I wanted. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is going to dark places. I'm going to go ahead and blame <laughs> Clive Barker for that. Yeah. Because this is a dark fucking movie. Um, anyway, next week, though, we're going to move to a much lighter, like, just fun sort of flick just a fun loving movie (laughs) fun loving movie cute lead actress you're gonna fall in love with her immediately the movie's called audition and it's by takashi mike i believe it's pronounced not positive on that and it is uh it is a lovely vision of romance um Mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a it's like walking on a cloud (laughs) yeah it's like walking on a cloud and you know it's it's like it's gonna be the romantic comedy that your your significant other is is gonna be watching with you and you're gonna turn to each other and you're gonna be like you know i really love you yeah it's just Mm -hmm. like that (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that episode, which uh, takes place in the past, sometime I think in in early December or so of 2016 is when we recorded it, unless it's also riddled with audio woes. <laughs> I'll have to go back and mix it, but I that think is, that, I think that yeah. one actually is okay. So I think this is... Yeah. Next episode should be the the first one that you guys get since our debut episode to have all original audio. <laughs> Listen, and I keep, I keep getting the emails from you guys over and over, and they're like, please, look, you know... Uh, <laughs> Just put them out. We don't care if the the audio is bad. Like your voices soothe us. Um, could I send you some money? Uh, like, do you want to lead a religion? I get those emails. All the and time. Yes, yes to all of them. Yes. Well, you know the really interesting thing that I thought, and this really intrigued me, is like after we put up the phenomena episode, the, our very first debut episode that we put up. Mm-hmm. Within yeah. within about five minutes of you making it live on iTunes and SoundCloud, I got an email from somebody saying, I love future Ben and Steve so much. Put them on the show more. And I was like, who the fuck are huh. future Ben and Steve? Huh. I wonder. Hey, do we even know them? Like, because we call ourselves future Ben and Steve. But we're present but what day. If, what if future Ben and Steve, I, I'm going to go ahead and guess, I'm missing an arm, and you have a cybernetic eye by now. Yes. Um, and, we're, and we're at uh, platform nine and three quarters, and it's bombed out. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, that is the ending to the last Harry Potter book that you wanted, correct? Yeah, that's the Age of Apocalypse version. Yeah, where it just flashes flashes forward and like they're they're all like mangled from a war and like yeah, and that would have been great. And you accidentally killed Professor X. <sighs> yeah, it wasn't okay. Look, <laughs> the dude, I was trying to save him. All right, and he tried to save me. It's kind of cute. Noble. It's kind of cute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, where anyway. can they? Uh, where can these fine people find us on them interwebs so they can send us questions, comments, nudes, and money? Mm. We'll take nudes and money at deadandlovelypod at gmail.com. Questions, we'll also take them there. Uh, And you can also find us on Twitter at deadlovelypod or also on Instagram. Oh, where can they find you on those medias? Um, On Twitter, Instagram, I am at Steven Spratling. That's Steven with a V, the correct way to spell it. Oh, and you guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ben Eller Guitars. And if you'd like to check out my YouTube channel where you can find some guitar learning vidges, you can find that on YouTube.com slash Ben Eller Guitars. Thank you, guys. Ben Eller I I should have said that in the Frank voice. Ben Eller Guitars. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys Bye-bye. so much for uh, for tuning into this episode. Stay tuned next week for another good old episode. We've been dead and lovely, and you guys have been rich and creamy. <laughs> <laughs> Bye now. <laughs> <laughs>